The following are the words of the Lord as spoken through the prophets. From Amos. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. From Jeremiah. I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. From Isaiah, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression. From Hosea, return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. From Zechariah, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. And from Micah, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. No one spoke more clearly and forcefully to the issue of justice than the ancient prophets of Israel. And what I read you this morning was just a sampling. They speak of justice frequently throughout their writings. There are over a hundred references to that word in the Hebrew Scriptures alone. Proverbs is full of it. Uh, Psalms is full of them. Isaiah is full of them. And when Jesus came upon the earth and began His public ministry in Luke chapter 3, He read from the prophet Isaiah that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus rolled the scroll back up, sat down, and told the people in the audience, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus took the religious leaders to task because they did not practice justice. He called them hypocrites. He said, you give a tenth of your spices, but you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You strain out gnats and swallow camels. The Bible speaks forcefully to the issue of justice because our God is a God of justice and he calls his people to be people of justice. And we still need prophetic voices today that call us back to the principles of justice and mercy. One of those modern day prophets for me has been Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson is the author of the book, Just Mercy. It's one of the few books that I've read twice within the last year. I heard him speak at the Global Leadership Summit a couple years ago, and then I got to visit the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, which also has the, the Legacy Museum from Slavery to Mass Incarceration and the National Memorial to Peace and Justice. And then earlier this year, I watched this movie that we're talking about today with my friends from the Stand Together Fellowship, and we hosted a panel discussion that I'll tell you about in just a minute. I hope you watched the movie this week. Um, it's been streaming free for the whole month of June. If you didn't watch it, I hope you'll take the opportunity after this message is over. But uh, here's a little glimpse of what it's about. It is ordered, adjudged, and decreed that Walter McMillan is to face death by electrocution. This is my dad, sir. Sit down, young man. John, I want you to sit down now. He ain't do nothing wrong. Please, Judge, hold on one second. I won't say it again. Sit down. Not if you're going to kill my dad for no reason. You killing my family, sir, you!
They convicted an innocent man. I was always taught to fight for the people who need the help the most. You don't know what it is down here. They ain't got to have no evidence. How many of you all were with Walter that morning? You ain't quitting, is you? No, sir. We all with you. My son growing up knowing his mom stopped doing what was right just because she was scared. I think we could build a case strong enough to bring him home. And I'm not gonna stop until I've done that. Let's get to work. still meaningful and I'm gonna do everything possible to keep them from taking it the movie tells the story of Walter Johnny D McMillan a black man wrongly convicted of murdering an 18 year old white woman named Rhonda Morrison in 1986 his entire conviction hinged on the testimony of a convicted felon named Ralph Myers uh, Myers wanted a lighter sentence for himself, and he was intimidated by prosecutors, and that's ultimately why he lied on the stand, and his lie led to the conviction of Johnny D. There was no physical evidence linking Johnny D. to the murder, and there were multiple eyewitnesses, over a dozen, who testified that Johnny D. was with, him, with them at a fish fry on the day of the murder. But in spite of that, the state of Alabama convicted Johnny D. and sentenced him to die in 1987. Brian Stevenson is a young attorney with uh, the Equal Justice Initiative. They do pro bono work for death row inmates. And he meets McMillan on death row at Holman State Prison in 1989. He can prove that Johnny D was not the murderer. He can prove that he was wrongly convicted. And he actually gets Ralph Myers to recant his testimony. But the judge still refuses a retrial. 60 Minutes picks up the story, and you can watch the actual 60 Minutes segment on YouTube. Uh, that increases public pressure. Stevenson uh, gets an appeal with the uh, state Supreme Court of Alabama, and they grant a retrial. And then the prosecutor finally agrees to dismiss the case for lack of evidence. Johnny D. is released from prison in 1993. He dies in uh, 2013. And he never really fully recovered from this ordeal. The fact is, McMillan was an innocent man, found guilty, and he was almost executed for it. He wasn't the first, and he won't be the last. The epilogue of the movie shows actual footage of the release of McMillan's former cellmate, Anthony Ray Hinton. He was found innocent after spending 28 years on death row 28 years for a crime he didn't commit and the book goes into details on other cases that the EJI has fought for some they've won and some they've lost now whenever I approach a movie for the movie series the first question I have to ask is what is this movie about 
Like, what are we going to talk about? And uh, if you saw this movie, or even if you just watched the trailer, then you've you got to be thinking, well, this movie is about racial bias. And, and that, yep, that's a theme within the movie. Or this movie's about policing. Or this movie is about uh, inequality in the criminal justice system. And yeah, that's, those are themes within the movie and within the book. But ultimately, this movie is a movie about the death penalty. And that's what I want to focus on in this message. Now, that was not my intent when I picked this movie. I picked these movies like back in January. And uh, I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going to choose Just Mercy because I want to talk about the death penalty. Uh, to be honest, I chose Just Mercy because I wanted to talk about race. And I wanted to talk about mass incarceration. And uh, that is an important part of the conversation. But that's not where the movie took me. Ultimately, the movie took me to the work of the Equal Justice Initiative, and the work of the Equal Justice Initiative is largely focused on the death penalty, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I've never done a sermon on the death penalty in uh, the, the 15 years that I've been preaching at Murray Hills. I've never talked publicly about this topic, and uh, Monday morning my inbox may remind me of why I don't talk about this, but... Um, there are some systemic problems in the United States concerning the way in which we convict and execute people. Uh, too many people are wrongly convicted, uh, too many mistakes are made, and, and even with those who are guilty of their crimes, the death penalty disproportionately affects minorities, the poor, underage, and those with mental illness or intellectual disabilities. I'm going to put some stats on the screen and just ask you to consider these with me. The Equal Justice Initiative reports that 169 people have been exonerated and released from death row since 1973. During that same time, 1,518 people have been executed in the U.S. That means that for every nine people who are executed, one person on death row is exonerated. And I ask you, is that an acceptable rate of error? Like, is that something we're willing to live with? Hey, we get it right at least 90% of the time. I mean, that's, that's good enough, right? Are we willing to say that 10% of the time the wrong person is executed? Some other stats. Concerning racial bias. African Americans make up 42% of the people on death row, and they make up 34% of those who are executed, but they only represent 13% of the U.S. population. More than 8 in 10 lynchings between 1889 and 1913 and legal executions between 1976 occurred in the South. That means that 80% of the lynchings during that time period in our country's history occurred in the South. 80% of legal executions now occur in the South. In other words, the states with the highest lynching rates are also the states with the highest execution rates. And 75% of executions for murder were in cases with white victims. Stevenson actually says in the book that race of the victim is the greatest predictor of who is executed in America. Concerning age and mental capacity, at least 44 people with intellectual disabilities were executed before the Supreme Court banned those executions in 2002. 366 people were children at the time of their crimes. They were executed before those executions were banned in 2005. And then mental health experts estimate that at least 20% of people on death row today 
have serious mental illness. And then concerning poverty. Nearly 100% of convicted death row inmates were unable to afford adequate legal representation. And that's the number one indicator as to whether or not someone will be convicted to die or convicted of a lesser sentence. The two leading causes of wrongful conviction or false accusations are from eyewitnesses or official misconduct on the part of the police or prosecutors. False accusations were involved in 66% of the cases and official misconduct in 79% of them. And the only way to uncover those injustices is through adequate legal representation. To quote Stevenson, Our death penalty system treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent. We did a showing of this movie for the Stand Together Fellowship, and we hosted a panel discussion immediately following. So right after we were done with the movie, we, we had four guys that set up in front of the audience there. Uh, one of them was an African-American man who had been convicted of a felony and had done his time. Uh, one of them was the chief of police, who was Tim Potts at the time. One of them was our sheriff, Bucky Rowland, and one of them was our public defender, uh, Travis Jones. And Trent Ogilvie asked them in the panel discussion, do you agree with that quote? Do you agree that our justice system treats you better if you're rich and guilty than if you're poor and innocent? And one of them, I think it was our public defender. I'm not 100% sure because I didn't write it down at the time, and I, you know, we don't have a recording of this, but one of them said something along these lines. No, that quote is not accurate. Our justice system treats you better if you're rich, period. If, if you're rich and guilty or you're rich and innocent, you will receive a fairer hearing than if you're poor and guilty or poor and innocent. And not because you're rich or poor, but simply because one group is able to afford better representation or any representation, and the other group doesn't have the resources for such a thing. That's the greatest indicator of whether or not they're going to receive a fair hearing. If you're rich, you can afford bail. I remember Sheriff Rowland talking about the fact that we have people who are in our jails that have not been convicted of a crime yet because they're awaiting trial and they don't have the resources to, to bail themselves out there. And our, our legal system is alarmingly slow. And I think both Travis and Bucky talked about the fact that you know, the system is overwhelmed with the caseload and the, uh, the uh, inadequate funding. It's very difficult to provide everyone the legal counsel that they need. And listen, I, I know some of those people are guilty. And, and some of you probably listen to this and say, well, so what? They, gotta, they, they probably did the crime, so they, they need to sit in jail for that reason. Or, you know, I understand. Maybe they deserve the time, but here's what I want to tell you this morning. This book, Just Mercy, it changed the way I feel about the death penalty. And um, I, I used to be for it. It used to make the most sense to me. I'm like, hey, if you're guilty, you must accept the punishment. That's justice, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But when you consider the stats that I just shared with you and you consider the, the bias that is implicit in the system and the inability to provide good legal representation for all people, regardless whether they're rich or poor, there's too many mistakes that are made. There's too many innocent people that get sent uh, to death row, and there's too much opportunity for bad actors to, to derail justice. And, and when I take all of those considerations into effect, and then also 
the theological considerations. I have a hard time making a case for it. Like if I go to the Old Covenant and I go to the Law of Moses, I can definitely make a case for the death penalty. There's tons of verses there that talk about that. But if I come to the New Covenant and I read the teachings of Jesus, I I have a harder time because Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And I don't, I don't think Jesus is advocating that we allow people to run over us or he's, he's not advocating for injustice or anything like that. Jesus is simply advocating for mercy. And he's advocating for, for life. And you, and you see that throughout the teachings of Jesus. And, and the more I, I study that and the more I read that, the more I think, you know, if, if I'm going to be pro-life, and I am, then I've got to be pro-life from the beginning to the end. If I'm going to be pro-life for lives in the womb, then I need to be pro-life for adults as well. And yes, they should have to pay for their crimes. Yes, there should be consequences. Yes, there should be justice. But I'm not sure justice involves execution. Now, I know this is a controversial subject. I can't see the comments right now because I'm preaching live to to the room. So some of you may be talking about this in the comments. I, I know that there are faithful Christians on either side of this issue. I understand that. And and, and maybe I shouldn't have told you what I'm thinking right now. And I'll I'll let you know whether that was a good idea or not. But um, I'm just trying to be honest with you and, and process this together with you. And that's what I would encourage you to do because anytime we want to talk about justice, we got to talk about how do we identify injustice. Like, if we're going to talk about these prophets and read what Jesus said and read what Isaiah said and Jeremiah and say, hey, yeah, we got to speak up for justice. Well, we have to identify injustice. And so what I'm encouraging you to do is to do your own research and come to your own conclusions, no matter what we're talking about, whether we're talking about the death penalty, whether we're talking about, you know, policing, whether we're talking about criminal justice, all these issues swirling around in our country right now, whatever we're talking about, do your research. This is how we seek justice. First, we listen and we learn, and then we study, and we research, and we learn our history, and we research the facts, and we listen to voices on all sides of the issue. We read the competing voices and the competing viewpoints, and then we compare those voices against the truth of Scripture, and then we determine a course of action. This is true for any issue revolving justice. Whenever we encounter justice in any form, we listen, we learn, we study, we process together, we pray, and then we muster the courage to act and to speak because the Bible calls us to it. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9 say, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. In the book, Stephen says that he doesn't believe the opposite of poverty is wealth. He believes the opposite of poverty is justice. That every one of us deserve a measure of justice, that every one of us deserve a measure of mercy, that none of us are defined by the worst thing we've ever done. All of us need some measure of unmerited grace. And that's ultimately what Stephen did in this story for Walter McMillan. 
It's what he did for Anthony Ray Hinton. It's what he did for some of the people he advocated for who were put to death for their crimes. But I would, again, just encourage you to read this story. I would, again, encourage you to watch this movie and then just determine for yourself how you believe we should act. Reach your own conclusions and determine to use your own voice. Let me pray for us. Father, this, this movie, um, it's, it's a good story and it's powerfully told. And um, that's one of the ways you teach us, is not just through uh, laws and commands, but you teach us through story, you teach us through narrative. And I'm thankful for the story of, of Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative. I'm thankful that it, it forces us to confront um, issues within our country that we need to confront. And I'm thankful for the conversations that are going on across our country right now that's forcing us to confront history and confront injustices and confront equality and those things. And I know some of us say, man, I'm just tired of hearing about all this stuff. Um, May we have empathy and may we understand how exhausting it is for people who have been experiencing it for generations. And so, Father, as, as people who follow you, we want to be a people who are about justice. We want to be a people who are about mercy. We want to be a people who are about love. And I ask that you continue to show us through your scriptures what that means and what that looks like. And most of all, I thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, who did speak justly. And he did love mercy. And he walked humbly with you. And may we follow his example. It's in his name that I pray these things. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great rest of the week. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to have to introduce the movie as soon as this live stream's over. So as soon as the live stream's over, we're going to throw up a post, and you'll know who the winner is of our bracket challenge. That'll be the last movie in the At The Movie series. You'll have plenty of time to watch it, and we'll talk about it next Sunday. We'll see you then at 930 right here on YouTube and Facebook.